You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Mark. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Mark. Right, that's because there's only two of us. So we're filling in for the other two. So I'm JR and Lee, and you're Mark and Simon. Is that I'm okay? I'm happy with that, yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah. Oh, what are you saying? You'd rather be Simon <laughs> than Lee? That doesn't... <laughs> so I'm stuck with Lee then. I was hoping you'd offer Look, to I'm be Lee. I'm chunky enough as it is without taking on Lee's as well. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said Hi that. Guys. People are going to hear this. <laughs> Mark. He never listens anyway. Mark. Yes, JR. Happy birthday. That was ages ago. No, I'm not saying happy birthday to you. No. I'm saying happy birthday to. Oh, the Blue Box podcast. It's our first anniversary. Yippee! Way! <laughs> and so, as it's our first anniversary, half of us are missing yeah that's that's how we tend to do things yeah it's uh let's let's just say it's eccentric and leave yeah, it at that. in fairness to lee and simon they are organizing something fairly enormous at the moment oh my god <laughs> <laughs> is that a euphemism <laughs> no it's a convention Mark and lee, uh, is that a euphemism no oh yes that's what we're going to call it from now on are we oh <laughs> I'm sorry, Lee and Simon aren't here. They're off having a convention. <laughs> yes, yes, we're going to use that Actually, that's not even a euphemism, is not it? Not really, no. It's, it's, it's actually explaining what they're doing. Yes. Okay, but I was... No, all right. They're in Congress somewhere. Yes. Okay, uh, so we've got lots of things to talk about. Mm. We've got two new episodes. Yes. And even though we don't normally do news, we're recording this close enough to the day it's going to go out to bother because there are two particularly big news stories this week, aren't there? And we really need to fill some time on this podcast. No, we've got two episodes to talk about, Mark, and we've got a bunch of messages, and I think we've got plenty. And, of course, there's only two of us. It only needs to be half an hour long. Yeah, and probably about 29 minutes of that will be you. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to make any bones about it. I've got plenty to say. No, two bits of news, Mark. Yes. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's introduce one of the bits of news by reading a message from somebody sent to us on the Blue Box Podcast Facebook page. Okay. This is from Jake Dinkle, or Dinkel. I think it's Dinkle. Who knows? Hi, Jake. Maybe you should tell us. Yeah, hello, Jake. And he says, hey, guys, ever since the announcement of Tennant and Piper for the 50th, the Internet has exploded with theories of a Rose and 10.5 from Pete's World storyline. Am I insane to think that Moffat would never touch the characters in Pete's World? No. For one thing, <laughs> for one thing, 10.5 Doctor isn't Moffat's creation. Handy Doctor. And for another, yeah, and for another, Handy Doctor is stupid. Yes. 
Is it so hard to assume that Moffat will just pluck the real Ten and Rose from their timeline? Thanks, guys, and keep up the good work, Jake. Thank you, Jake. I totally agree with him. I can't really see the point of having Handy Doctor. Well, I agree with him too. And, well, I mean, not necessarily about the 10.5 Doctor being stupid. I'm assuming he means the idea of having a 10.5 Doctor is stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I don't have any um, bother with that. But I just can't see Stephen Moffat wanting to take a, take a Russell T. Davis storyline and run with it. No. No, he's uh, he's got his own ideas of what he wants to do. I can't. I just don't see the point in bringing him back when it it somewhat limits it. I suppose it, it, the only reason you would go with that would be to illustrate any difference in how David Tennant appears now compared to how he did when he left the role. But I don't think he's changed but that pres- much. Yeah, no, exactly. And if there are other Doctors going to be involved, which we don't know yet then they're all going to look different anyway. Mm. And let's face it, people are willing to suspend disbelief for a few extra lines on David Tennant's face, aren't they? Well, I mean, they suspended their disbelief enough to see Richard Herndall play the first Doctor in The Five Doctors. Yep. And see John Pertwee play the third Doctor from 1970 to 1974. So, you know, it's not without precedent. I could never believe that. (laughs) <laughs> I was playing right into your hands Sorry, Mark. wherever you are um, the thing about it is um, if if it, if Stephen Moffat wants to do a multi-doctor thing mm. then why would he want to do like the human doctor anyway I mean he's avowedly a big fan of the five doctors right yeah. and even if he can't manage to get or doesn't want to get like all 11 doctors involved in this mm-hmm. the simple fact that he is a fan of the five doctors would suggest that he would want to do what he does do you know in a sense of reality you know to make it real to make to canonize the 10th and 11th doctors meeting yeah. i would have thought yeah it just cheapens it if it's not the real 10th doctor absolutely and then, and of course, you know, any creations that he has taken from prior to the 11th hour have all been from his stories. Yeah. The Weeping Angels and more pertinently River Song. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he hasn't, for all the speculation, people always speculate, oh, I wonder if he's going to do this and I wonder if he's going to do that. And I'm not just talking about the anniversary special, but I mean just in general. Mm-hmm. People will see that somebody... Oh, for example, a couple of years ago, a good man goes to war, character called Jenny, in the credits. And immediately the internet explodes. Oh, he's brought the Doctor's daughter back. Whereas, you know, that whole time I'm thinking, no, there's a character in it called Jenny, but, you know, the Jenny from the Doctor's daughter was in a Russell T. Davis story that was written by... um, Oh, Richard, oh, I can't remember. But you know what I mean. It's like, yeah. it's got nothing to do with Stephen Moffat. He, why would he... he wrote that one, Stephen Greenhorn. Stephen Greenhorn, yeah. that's the one, yeah. yeah. And I'm just, every time that happens, I'm thinking, you know, you speculate all you like about what you might want to do. Mm. But if you're actually speculating about what you think somebody else might want to you do... you try and get into their mindset, haven't you? 
yeah you've got to at least give a little bit of credence to you know their previous mm -hmm. you know you've got to look at what they have done in order to think about what they might do the, so, the big thing if they are going to bring back older doctors is the obvious visual difference compared to what they looked like when they were in the role before yeah yeah now i have my own well you know i pardon say i had my own Sorry? theory on that go on yes let's do it because yeah. we were talking about this last it, night it and so let's do it probably wouldn't the be record. feasible money wise i don't know but my own take on it would be you could put something into the plot by the way of some something like a a portal I discussed this on Nerdology with uh, Declan May a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you yeah. could have some pl sort of plot point where Matt Smith has to travel through this portal uh, in order to further the plot. And on the other side of that portal, it's an animated world. So you get the voices of the real actors. So you don't have to put stand-ins in to take care of the older doctors, but they still can look as they should do, albeit animated. Absolutely. Now, I think the biggest problem with that, I think there's two problems with that, potentially. Mm. One is that there's not the time or the money to animate it to the quality that would be required for an episode of this kind. Mm. I mean, you look at um, Dreamland and The Infinite Quest, yeah. and they're all well and good, but... They're all well and good for Saturday morning on CBBC. Do you not you think know, the you... um, the animation on the restored DVDs is getting better and better and cheaper and cheaper? Oh, it is, but I don't think you could put it out at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. I mean, I'm not talking about a whole episode like that because that would probably no, not fly no, at all, no. but you know, just a small segment so you could let those well, characters Well, this is show. where what I would say was the other problem comes mm. in. I think it would be too jarring for a Saturday night audience. Mm -hmm. Even if the animation was exemplary, I think a Saturday night audience... Not, I'm not sort of generalising about the whole audience, but I just think that the people producing these kinds of shows would look at that and say to themselves, oh, that's a bit weird. A bit too mm -hmm. weird to put out on a Saturday night. Having said that, I don't know... I think sometimes people well, underestimate what audiences can take. Well, yeah, because the other thing is what Matt Smith said on the Jonathan Ross show. Yeah, I didn't see that, so... Um... Oh, well, what happened was they were having a conversation and just before they were about to go to the break and Matt Smith's segment was finished, Jonathan Ross said to him, look, I know you can't say terribly much, mm. but you're here and I'm going to press you for this. Just give me a a single nugget of information about the anniversary special, just a little clue, a little teaser. Mm. And so Matt Smith sort of umdenard and said, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> and then he said, but one word. And, oh, God, was it paintings or pictures? I think it was paintings. Paintings it was. Right. Well, of course, then the internet says, oh, classic doctors are going to be paintings that come to life. Mm -hmm. Well, potentially that could tie in with what you were saying. Yeah. If they did the animation so that it was sympathetic to, uh, you know, uh, for example, an oil painting or yeah. watercolour come to life Stylized. as opposed to, yeah, as opposed to being in an animated mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. If they just had sort of watercolour versions of the first 
seven or eight doctors walking around in the real world or something. Have you heard of a Possibly. TV show from the States called Community? No. Well, they had an entire animated episode, which is a, a fan favourite, so it can be done. Admittedly, Community does appeal to that sort of niche geek audience. Yeah, that's the thing. Doctor Who is not, by any stretch of the imagination, niche audience programme. That's true. That's true. You know, at its most popular, Lost was being watched by about 40 million people in the States, mm -hmm. I believe. And that is just under a sixth of the population. Yeah. Right, Doctor Who at Christmas and episodes like Journey's End is watched by about a fifth of the population of this country. Mm. Battlestar Galactica, uh, its viewing figures in the States were something like 2 million, right? Mm -hmm. Out of 260 million. Yeah. That was a popular show. And that is a Minuscule. tiny, tiny fraction. Yeah. It's, Doctor Who is not in any way shape or form niche programming and it has to has to always bear in mind the fact that most people watching it are not science fiction fans mm -hmm. are not cult tv fans and won't accept things that would otherwise be acceptable in niche programs so while things like dreamland and the infinite quest are all well and good to put on the red button for people to seek out if they want mm -hmm. or to put in totally doctor who or to show on a Saturday morning where people can find them if they want to look for mm. them. You couldn't. Can you imagine if they'd have showed Dreamland on a Saturday night and said it was a regular episode <laughs> of Doctor Who? It would have been an interesting reaction, I think. People would have been scratching their heads and saying, what? Simon would have been writing into points of view straight away. Yeah. Of course, the other piece of news, and in a minute I'm going to tie these together. Mm. But the other piece of news, or the photograph that was tweeted, was... Mm, yes, a picture of a Zygon. Well, what did you think, Mark? I thought it was fantastic. Um, did you? Yeah. I, they've tweaked the design slightly. It's not quite the same as before. But then no. I suppose they have to update these things, especially if they're going to yeah. be filming in HD as well. You need to have something that oh, yeah, stand yeah. the test of the cameras. But, yeah, I think it's great news. I'm not necessarily sure they're going to be the main villain. I could be wrong. Well, this is what I was going to come to. I was going to talk about the design first and then the possibility of how it's going to be used afterwards. Mm. But insofar as the design's concerned, and I'm not saying I dislike it, and certainly once you see it on camera, it will look different. It will come across differently yeah. than it does in a photograph. But, you know, and I, we were saying this in a conversation just last night, mm. I think it's lost something. It's too muscular and too nasty looking i think the thing about the old zygons was that they they weren't muscular they were just like giant babies <laughs> yeah i suppose they, and they were, had yeah. yeah and they had and the face it wasn't like an evil face not a nasty looking expression mm. it was just different odd different i don't know how to explain it i can't put my finger on it because it's not like it was evil but innocent like you could say, you know, the big black eyes on the Slitheen. Mm -hmm. Kind of, you've kind of got the baby face, yeah. but given the evil twist. The old Zygons, I suppose in a way had a similar kind of thing, but the new Zygons, whatever that thing was, the new Zygon seems to have lost it. Yeah. And there's no microphone in the chest, which has always been very important. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> now, we also said last night... They can night, use the original garrison as well, did you know that? Oh, yeah, of course they will. 
and CSO. I might do the rest of this episode on my own in a minute, Matt. <laughs> oh, no, the other thing we said was, since the picture of the Zygon, mm. a lot of people are saying, oh, Zygon's the big bad for the anniversary special. Mm. And the other thing is, because people are still speculating about how you might bring in older versions of the classic series Doctors, mm. they're saying things like, oh, maybe the Zygons are, um, what's the word I'm looking for, replicating them. Yeah. And getting it slightly wrong. Yeah, kind of. I could just about see <sighs> that, but it's tenuous. Yeah, maybe. Right. And then, of course, if you factor in paintings, mm. because, of course, the Zygons are supposed to have the person there in person in order to replicate them. Yeah. I suppose there could be some story... I suppose, you know, at the furthest stretch of your imagination, there could be a storyline in which Zygons have got hold of paintings of the first seven Doctors... Mm. And are replicating the Doctors from the paintings. Mm. But to me, that's a big stretch. I think for them to announce them being in it and have that photo so early on, it just gives me the impression that It's given away too much, yeah, to be real. And I think yeah. they're perhaps going to be more of a, a little cameo rather than necessarily the main bad well, guys. Do you, know what, do you know what my first thought was when I saw that picture? Mm. I'm thinking... Oh, there's Wales doubling for the Scottish Highlands, and what's going to happen is Matt Smith turns up in the TARDIS in the middle middle of Terror of the Zygons, mm -hmm. and finds Tom Baker gone, and the story becomes, you know, I can imagine half a dozen scenes like that where he turns up in the middle of adventures mm -hmm. that they're replicating from some time in the past, maybe Dalek invasion of Earth, who knows, finds the Doctor missing, mm -hmm. and the Zygons or the Daleks or the Cybermen or whatever have won. Imagine Terror yeah. of the Zygons, where Tom Baker goes missing at the end of episode two. The by the end of episode four, the Zygons have won. So it's kind of like so an extended I'm turn left. Uh, yeah, the Doctor's turning up in all his old adventures, finding the Doctor missing, his previous selves missing, and the bad guys winning. Mm -hmm. And so, rather than have those previous Doctors in the story, you reference them by having bits of their stories mm -hmm. that they're missing from. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the story, he's got them back into their timelines and time's been set back on course. And that's wibbly-wobbly Stephen E. Moffaty, mm. isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely in his M.O. So, to me, when I looked at that picture, I just thought, oh, you know, that's episode three of Terror of the Zygons. Mm. What are you talking about? So, and you know, people are saying, oh, they wouldn't have gone to the expense of making a Zygon costume or costumes if they weren't going to be the big bad. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, but maybe not in this episode. Mm. You know, maybe I think the Zygons would make a great big bad for a Christmas episode. How many times have we seen it where they will, in order to get the maximum use of their budget, they'll have something and then use it again later? So Yeah. So all, all that needs to... I mean, poss possibly, potentially even, the Zygons could be the big bad in episode 8 of the current run. We don't know what's going on in that story yet. So just imagine if the Zygons turned up at the end of that. And there you go. There's the budget for the costumes come out of episode eight. Mm -hmm. Or possibly, uh, you know, if they're in the Christmas episode. And what better, what better image to have in your trailer for the Christmas episode than Santa Claus sitting on his sleigh and morphing into a Zygon. <laughs> so, you know, maybe the budget for the Zygon costumes has come out of the Christmas episode's budget. And they've just made them early in order to give one a cameo in this episode. You know, it's not like the budget for the Zygons costumes had to come out of this episode. When you see these 
photos and stuff appear on Twitter, as you start hearing this sort of news coming through, there's a little light bulb go on above your head and you get like a little ding noise. Oh, me? Yeah. You mean about my theories yeah. and whatnot? Yeah, it does. It doesn't, it doesn't come to me in stages and I don't think about it. I just see a picture and instantly my mind says, oh, that's, in, that's the Doctor dropping in in the middle of Terror of the Zygons. Because you had Tom Baker's not there. quite a cool idea that we discussed quite some time ago now for how if you were to try and set up a multi-Doctor story, how you could do it and how you'd explain away the prison the planet Yeah, thing. I think that was a really cool Yeah. Well, again, I didn't think about that and I didn't formulate it. It just came to me in a ping. I'm one of these people, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of these people, and I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm one of these people who gets, I don't know what the expression is, but, you know, who sees things in an instant. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's how it works. Anyway, we have so much for this episode only being half an hour long. It's actually already <laughs> 20 minutes long, and we've not talked about any of the things we were supposed to. But we have covered the news, which is, I did quite want to do that, mm. because I did think those two things were worth talking about. Yeah. And if you want to hear my Sharda theory, I think it's in one of our Christmas episodes. Uh, one of yeah. the episodes we did around Christmas. I can't even remember what we did last week, let alone back at Christmas. No. Anyway, um, here you go. A couple of messages on Facebook about Blue Box Podcast from two weeks ago. Ah, yeah. Um, Declan May says, a great episode. The surprise was unexpected. Won't say what it is here for fear of spoiling it for those who haven't yet had the pleasure of listening. That's episode 50, Podcast, in case you haven't. <laughs> and worked well, says Declan. A good episode and very well done, as always. But not every week. We need our Simon Brett and Lee Rawlings, he says. And here we are in a birthday <laughs> episode. And there's no Simon Brett and Lee Rawlings. Unbelievable. I was leaving a space there for the tumbleweed to come through at just that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard Hugh Parkin says, brilliant. To- totally unexpected and wonderfully welcome surprise. Happy 50 podcasts. Thanks oh. for all the hard work. And here's to the next one. Thank 50. you very much. Excellent. So that's a few messages. Mm. I've got some more emails as well. But I am going to... Um, Put those, uh, put those to the end of the episode, I okay. think. We'll come back to those. Because we ought to talk about the two episodes we've seen. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do these in order, in reverse order, or maybe just talk about the pair? Because I think there's a certain amount of crossing over between the pair. Yeah, okay. In, in spite of appearances, because ostensibly they're two entirely different episodes. Mm-hmm. But I think there's, yeah, I think there's a few things that cross over from one to the other but we'll come to that in a bit but first of all mark what did you because i haven't asked you and i deliberately haven't asked you really <laughs> because i wanted to save this conversation for now yeah. what did you think of the bells of st john i get the impression they were both going to have fairly opposing views on this i didn't actively hate it i thought it was a fun episode but i came away from first viewing thinking i've kind of seen all this before but I wanted to give it another chance, so I watched it again the following morning, and I still felt a bit sort of meh about it by the end. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I see, I'm not really surprised, because I've seen that reaction from a few people. Mm. We had an email from um, oh Steve from Manchester. Oh, right. Actually, seeing as I'm on, I will find it. There it is. And his email is two words long. <laughs> 
and his email is as follows oh dear hmm. although he did um he did come back to me later and um he did say later on if i can find it and it can't be far away he did say later on oh i can't find it but he said he rewatched it and he said actually he didn't think it was so bad the second time around I didn't think it was actively bad. I just, if I'm looking for positives, I think Jenna Louise Coleman is fantastic. I think she lights up the screen when she's on it, and I think the chemistry is already there between them. I know they've done a, a couple of episodes yes. already together, before this proper first one, so to speak. Um, I agree. I agree about the chemistry. Mm. I think they do work really well together. And oh boy, do I agree about Jenna Louise <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> there was a very nice. Uh, photo of her on Facebook the other day in a quite a foxy outfit so yes um, I'm turning into a bit of a sad old man or alternatively when you've got the picture up on your screen a happy (laughs) old man Um, yeah Celia Imri I thought was really good in the part of the uh, the sort of the main villain if you like Um, so that's oh and a great twist for her at the end when she went back to being a child regression I thought that was a great moment So those are plus points. Um, I felt some of the stuff that we'd seen before, the whole thing, I know Mr. Moffat's got his tropes that he likes to use, and the whole thing about being uploaded, your soul being uploaded, we've seen that before in um, Silence in the Library. Um, And I felt that was a bit of a retread. Yeah, but a little theory on that. If you look at... For example, Doctor Who, 1975 to 77, mm-hmm. Holmes and Hinchcliffe. There are so many repeated tropes then as well. Yeah. And there are so many body horror stories where people are getting taken over by something. Oh, yeah, possession look at, classic Doctor Who is yeah, pretty much every other look episode. look at the Ark in Space and the Seeds of Doom almost tell exactly the same story. Mm. Yeah. And then you look at other things like, yes, not just possession by... Um, something physical but possession mentally yeah. how many times does sarah jane get hypnotized mm-hmm. across those 15 15 stories six, uh, 17 stories yeah. and you know the, any number of other things that that are repeated across those episodes but here's the thing those are kind of more general things mm-hmm. they're not as kind of specific in a way, as the Stephen Moffat ones, mm. because Stephen Moffat's repeated tropes tend to sort of fall under a different umbrella. They're not kind of... The Hinchcliffe and Holmes ones were kind of repeated tropes, not just specific to Doctor Who, but just kind of general kind of tropes that you'd get in horror movies yeah. and horror stories. Whereas Stephen Moffat's, because a lot of his repeated tropes tend to be of the time paradox variety mm. and kind of you know a lot of them are born out of coupling as well because coupling was quite a timey-wimey series yeah. in a way or several episodes where he would do the timey-wimey thing in coupling and this is just something he's obviously practiced in his storytelling yeah. over a long period of time and of course he does it and i don't mind I don't mind these repeated tropes at all because 
for one thing I know that when we get out of Stephen Moffat we won't still have them and when you watch things retrospectively if you go back and watch Hinchcliffe and Holmes right mm -hmm. if you go back and watch The Ark in Space you don't then go on and watch Seeds of Doom shortly afterwards mm -hmm. with you know the brain of Morbius and pyramids and Mars and everything else in between yeah. you know when you're in the middle of something and you're getting that thing every week it's one thing yeah but when you watch something retrospectively and seeing other things in between and you're picking and choosing what you watch, mm -hmm. then you tend to forget about the repetitions and appreciate appreciate the differences. It's like David Tennant. I found during C Series 3 and Series 4, I found some of his acting was getting on my nerves yeah. just because of the things he'd always do. But if I go back and watch a David Tennant episode now, I forget about the things yeah. he always does. In isolation. And notice, yeah, and notice all the things that he does specific to that episode. Mm. And I think it's the same with Stephen Moffat. I think because we're in the thick of it, we're taking particular notice of his okay. tropes. And the other thing about that is, I think he was having a little fun with some of them. Mm. I think ever since uh, the two... Was it Comic Relief or was it... Um, Children was it the need. other one, Children in Need, where he did Time and Space? Yeah. Comic relief, I think it I think, was comic wasn't relief. it? Yeah. And in that, I think he started to take the mickey out of himself a mm. bit. I think he looked at his repeated tropes, his timey-wimey, mm. his time paradox, and his nonsensical time paradoxes as well, mm. because, you know, on the face of it, a lot of Stephen Moffat's time paradoxes unravel if you try to pick them apart yeah. but i think he looked at that and said well you know let's make a virtue out of it and let's make something funny out of it i don't want to come across as a completely miserable old so-and-so there, there were things that i really liked um that console just looks better and better and better every time i see it Aye. i was talking to someone on uh, twitter the other day and they were agreeing on that one um there were some nice little lines the bit where she asks the girl in the house what chapter are you up to? And she says ten. And uh, Jenna Louise Coleman's character says eleven's better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a cool oh, yeah. nice little in joke. There are so, there's, there's always nice lines in Stephen Moffat, hmm. and yes, and things like that. Do you know what I I particularly liked about? I'm not going to make any claims for being a classic. Hmm. I mean, I liked it, but I'm not going to say it was possibly, one of the best episodes ever. Possibly that's what made me perhaps overly harsh on it is the fact that you go onto Twitter and you see everyone going into meltdown saying it's the best episode ever what a return oh, but they I think, always oh, do I never look I've not even looked now I've not looked at I've not looked at any response to the episode whatsoever mm. I just I, you know I just... and the fact she holds on to that cup of tea for so long I think that's really good oh yeah and the bit where she goes into the TARDIS and even though there's two jump cuts there mm effectively if you're not looking out for the jump cuts mm. effectively you've got one continuous shot the direction was very good Pardon? the direction was very good yes and um, but the thing i liked about it was the pace mm. I, that was really unexpected because not that it was like deathly slow but normally with a season opener mm. And effectively, regardless of the fact that this is series 7.6 or whatever it is, this is a series opener yeah. to all intents and purposes. And ordinarily, you'd get something, not necessarily with Stephen Moffat fast, 
but you have something a bit in your face. You need either spills or spectacle. I saw quite a few people comparing it with partners in crime. Oh, yeah, I'll come to that in a minute. I was going to. But what I was going to say was, apart from the bit on the plane, which is all of, what, 30 seconds yeah. long, and the bit on the motorbike, which, again, is, what, 15 seconds? Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are two trailer pieces, really, aren't they? Yeah. But apart from those, it was one of these stories that kind of... It, I'm not going to go so far as to say it was hypnotic, but it was one of these stories that just kind of unwound gradually and worked its way towards its destination. And I really enjoyed that. I was so not expecting that, and it was such a nice surprise. It was nice to relax into an episode of Doctor Who, because usually the 45-minute formula mm. doesn't give you much time to relax. So it felt it had time to breathe. Yeah, and that's the main thing, I think, that com uh, bears comparison between this and the next episode, The Rings of Akaten. What do you think, just before we get on to go that on. episode specifically, yeah. Yeah, go do on you then. think that's something that they've learned since the series has come back? So if you compare, say, Belt of St. John I've... compared to one of the, the episodes yeah. from season one. Par uh, Partners in Crime, for example. Yeah, or even back to Eccleston's season. Oh, yeah, but no, mm. I think it's the difference between the two showrunners. I think it's something that Stephen Moffat's imposed on it, or better still, imposing upon mm. it. I think, uh, I can't say that this will be the reason why. I think he's taken some of the criticisms of Russell T. Davis's Doctor Who to heart, mm. in effect, and has, maybe inadvertently, maybe unconsciously, but in some way, I think he's taken some of those criticisms or some of maybe what he perceived as failures, failings, and has just decided to do it in his way, not in Russell's way. Yeah. And, you know, the first evidence of that was probably the impossible astronaut. Because although it started with a bang, mm. it then became a bit of a slow burner. And because it was across two episodes... And the second episode was the same. That started with a bang and then slowed right down. It was almost like, um, you know, slow, slow. What's it? What's the dance? Slow, <laughs> slow, quick, quick, slow. You know what yeah. I mean? But it was almost like quick, quick, slow, slow, quick. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get the feeling that Stephen Moffat's doing this deliberately. I get the feeling that he'd rather his Doctor Who was like this. So he does these things. And when he does these things, he'll throw something in as a kind of olive branch to the people who prefer the old way of things. He'll throw them mm. an olive branch, like, for example, having that big bang of an open at the start of The Impossible, Ast Impossible Astronaut, and then he'll go into Stephen Moffat mode. Well, you kind of expect you know someone who wrote an episode called The Doctor Dances to possibly pace it slow, slow, quick, quick, slow, wouldn't you? Ho, ho, quick, quick, <laughs> ho. Uh, but you know what I'm saying yeah. I think Stephen Moffat's doing his own thing mm. but I think he's nodding and referencing uh, perhaps not as an olive branch but you know what I mean yeah. I think he's nodding and referencing perhaps almost to amuse himself mm -hmm. and yes Bells of St John is it St John or St John's I keep get, I've got this singular John, now in my I head it's singular oh, I think oh either way Oh, of course, one of the great things is you've got your cold open, mm. which is pretty obvious. I didn't really yeah. like the cold open, but it had to be there. And then as soon as you come out of it and you've got, you know, computer screens and everything else, and you're thinking, right, modern urban thriller, mm -hmm. just like we've been promised, 
Cumbria, 1207. <laughs> I did like that. Yeah. And although he's done that kind of thing before, I mean, it's a... Some, some people are saying, oh, he repeats his tropes. But, you know, some of these things, like, for example, that, are repeated not because he can't think of anything new, but because it's a, like a running theme. Yeah. It's a running theme that in the middle of an episode, you know, they'll be off in some hotel in the 1920s fighting Zygons or hiding under Henry VIII's bed or whatever. These are repeated Stephen Moffat themes. So, you know, I don't think he's plagiarising himself. I think he's just... It's like if you read the Harry Potter books, for example, I would imagine that those characters would get up to some pretty similar things in one book after another. Yeah. Like Quidditch, for instance. You know, I can imagine that probably turns up in more than one Harry Potter book. Mm -hmm. Now, is that is that the author plagiarising herself? Yeah. Or is that just a running theme mm -hmm. through the books? And the same thing with Stephen that. Moffat. I like him to... I'm banging on about this, aren't I? Partners <laughs> in crime. You banging on about something? I can't believe it. <clears throat> it was, in many ways, very similar to Partners in Crime. And this has been pointed out. But I'd like to go somewhere entirely different. Okay. Okay, another thing that's been pointed out is the many similarities between this and the war machines. Hmm, I've not heard that one. Well, the tower, computer in a tower taking over yeah. the world. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, it makes right. sense. Well, I find that very superficial. Do you know what I thought this was similar to? Mm. And I've not heard this anywhere. Although I have said just now, I've not looked. <laughs> so I've, I've seen a handful of things, but I've not looked. But you know what it put me in mind of? The, idi uh, the Idiot's Lantern? No. Oh, that's another one yeah. that's been mentioned a lot, I think. No, I was put in mind of the faceless ones. Hmm, okay. And it didn't strike me till after that thought was in my mind that actually there's a plane in both. But the point is, in the faceless ones, there is a pseudo-formless identity that lives in the clouds that is stealing people's souls from Earth and taking them up there so it can, in effect, feed upon them or use them in some mm. way. That, to me, is a lot closer than... Not necessarily The Idiot's Lantern, but definitely Partners in Crime and definitely... Um, what was the other story I mentioned? The War Machines. Yeah. I think it's a lot closer to The Faceless mm. Ones than The War Machines. Yeah, I'd not even thought of that. Well, there you go. I just think... There's that. It's, the, it's a very similar story. Not... Uh, the, the story might be similar, but the way the plot works isn't necessarily similar. Mm. And kind of the refined notions that run through the plot. For example, when I say feeding upon, is using the bodies. The faceless ones are using the bodies yeah. in order to inhabit them and have a personality. But in a sense, that's feeding on the body because you're using it yeah. for your own ends, which is you know what you do with food. So I'm just saying the parallels are there, and there seem to be seem to me to be more parallels with the faceless ones. Than any of those other stories, except maybe the Idiot's Lantern. Yeah. But here's the thing: between that and the Rings of Akaten, mm. I'm getting a Stephen Moffat in the anniversary year is writing stories that homage to an extent a Tenth Doctor story mm. 
and a fifth Doctor story and a second Doctor story. Now, the homage might not be big, it might be small, mm. but because Rings of Akaten, uh, you know, if you're going to say Bells of St. John, I'm thinking Idiot's Lantern, and I'm thinking Time Flight because of the plane. Oh, jeebus. You know, your homage, your homage doesn't need to be big, <laughs> it doesn't need to be story, but it's just, oh, sequence with the plane? Mm. Makes you think of Time Flight. I'm not saying the homage needs to be big, but I'm thinking, you know, Train of Thought, Idiot's Lantern, Time Flight, Faceless Ones, and then Ring of Akaten, and this is more tenuous, mm. but this was the way my train of thoughts went. Rings of Akaten went, you know, end of the world or whatever other story along those lines you want to say yeah. from the new series. And then back to Snake Dance and the Underwater Menace, bizarrely, for the marketplace. Mm. Now, I know that's very tenuous, but just had the feel of the... You know, in that epi episode of The Underwater Menace that exists and that we've seen, there's a lot of running around a marketplace there. Right. And, of course, same thing in Snake Dance. Mm. And I know that's really tenuous, and I'm not saying it's not tenuous, but I'm just saying, you know, that's two stories in a row where my train of thoughts has gone back through... I was going to say the same Doctors then, but of course, with the new series ones, it's 10 and 9. But Russell T. Davis, 5th Doctor, 2nd Doctor. I think it brought to mind oh. for me was the uh, the scene in Star Wars. The cantina. Oh yeah, obviously. Oh, just before Pretty we go off that and start talking about the re episode, mm. next week is Ice Warrior imprisoned on board a nuclear submarine, right? In the middle of the Cold War. Well, what does that not say to you if it doesn't say Dalek... Warriors of the Deep, The Ice Warriors. Again, new series, Russell D. Davis, Fifth Doctor, Second Doctor. Blimey, Charlie, I think you're onto something. Well, I'm not. I don't know if it's deliberate or whether it's just the way my mind's working because I'd already thought that about the first one and I was already thinking that about the third one. So perhaps I just had those thoughts about the second one because I already had had those other thoughts. But I'm just saying, that just happened. I like your thinking. And I just want well you know the in season 20 they had that thing that was pointed out after the fact by Ian Levine yeah. where there was something in every episode that had previously happened previously appeared mm. I just wonder if Stephen Moffat maybe deliberately and maybe I'm misreading episode 2 Rings of Akaten and actually perhaps he was supposed to be homaging something else I thought you were going to say just... he wondered if he got Ian Levine in to help out <laughs> no, I just wonder if he's deliberately across these eight episodes and I said this back at Christmas, didn't I? I wondered if he might do this. Mm -hmm. If he's deliberately homaging the old series and, you know, if you don't see it, uh, no bother. But if you do see it, you might just think to yourself, oh, it's nice actually to be made to think of the faceless ones mm. or the war machines or whatever you did think of. Well, the uh, nice the character we see initially as the sleeping god that screams draconian to me, albeit a slightly more scary version. Oh, you know, yes, let's get on to Rings of Akaten now. Mm. And we have done them in consecutive order, so there you go, in spite of what I said <laughs> earlier. But, what? Did, well, well, go on then. Before we get into that, what did you think? I, I must admit, I've only seen it the once so far, so it usually takes me a couple of viewings to form a... Um, final opinion but i preferred yeah. it to the first of these new episodes oh you did personally yeah 
I was the other way around. Can you put into words what it was that you preferred about it? Um, I do like it when they go off to other worlds, and I must admit I find the contemporary Earth stories, although there haven't been that many recently before this one came along, I find them sometimes a bit dull. So you've yeah. got a, a pretty impressive-looking backdrop. Um, the effects were stunning. Oh yeah, they really were. When they were. step out onto that rock and you see the the rings going around the sun, it's really. We're going to miss the mail, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I think um, Simon, when we chatted to him previously before the episode, I think uh, one of his points was that uh, it's a, a bit of a swan song for the mill. Yeah, it is. Very sad. Well, um, you know, that's kind of life, I suppose, mm. isn't it? We did have a message from Simon, actually, about Bells of St. John, so uh, let me see if I can dig it out. Mm. Um, it's only a short one. He just says... Um, Good solid fun, nothing new or groundbreaking, but a good series opener. Effects were fantastic, shame about the mill. Felt like an RTD episode. Jennifer Louise, Gen- Louise Coleman was fantastic, not in the least irritating as he as he feared she might be. And Richard E. Grant back again, yay, he says. <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting because I did talk about that again at Christmas, didn't oh, I? Oh, is this a chance for you to say I told you so? No, because I was going to actually say, <laughs> so because I've talked about it already, uh, let's pass on. Rings of Agaten. I, you know, I thought Clara was really good in this episode. Yeah, she is. I like the way that and she relates to the little girl. Open, I think that's a really... The pre-title sequence mm. as well mm. is great. Yeah. I mean, it's daft. Yeah. And it's deliberately daft. But it's. I, what I really liked about it was... It didn't need to be there. Mm. And yet it tells us so much because, well, obviously this takes place between the Doctor saying to Clara, do you want to come along? And her saying to him, come back tomorrow at seven. And obviously he goes off for the day. and He says, I'm going to find out who you are. Yeah, he does his background Mm -hmm. research and finds absolutely nothing. There's all these conspiracies and theories, wasn't there, about the the leaf, the the significance of the leaf. Yeah. Well, people slightly disappointed people listening to, find to this. Out, well, I suppose it's, it's, it still had a, a relevance and a meaning. Well, the thing is, that was um, that was um, put in. Presumably, that was put in the first episode after mm. its appearance in the second episode. Mm. That's something Stephen Moffat would have added yeah. to Bells of Saint John after the script for. Rings of Akaten was finalised because obviously they needed something. Am I right they, in saying that this was um, Neil Cross's second story that he provided for this series? Yeah. Mm. And you know what? I don't think it's as good as last week's. And I think the problem with it is, uh, you know, the first one was kind of slow and absorbing, mm. which was unusual. And I said, that's great and I like it, but I wouldn't want to see it again. Mm-hmm. And actually, this one was also kind of slow and absorbing. And I didn't mind that at all. I did like seeing that again. But here was the problem for me. Come the end of the episode, and about the last 15 minutes, are Matt Smith standing in one set, entirely by himself, Mm. talking to himself, to a green screen, 
to a character that doesn't have voice so it's entirely a monologue meanwhile you've got Jenna Louise Colburn doing exactly the same thing on another set entirely so basically you've got 15 minutes of the episode in which two characters are talking to themselves mm. there were echoes of the Satan pit when he's addressing the great god there was, but the difference there was, even though you weren't getting any dialogue back from the Satan character in that... There was an emotion that, and a reaction rather than just a big... Yeah, at least it was an fire. animated... Uh, yeah, exactly. A ball of fire. You can paint as many sort of grisly faces on a ball of fire as you want, but you're not getting anything back from it, not really. And it just... You know, I, I, I'm not going to blame Farron Blackburn, the director. I'm not going to blame... Um, thing with Cross, the writer. Oh, Neil, Neil Cross. Yeah, I'm not going to blame him because, um, apart from anything else, obviously, also Stephen Moffat will have had a lot of input, mm. and I'm not going to blame him either, because somewhere between the three of them, and probably at the stage of writing, they'll have, you know, when you write something like this, you have to imagine in your head how it's going to play out, mm. and they probably did, and it probably seemed fine. And you bring the director on board and he says, oh, I know how to do that. But then when it comes down to it, it's just two people standing in entirely different locations talking to themselves for an extended period of time. And you can throw in all the bombastic music you like. We're going back to Time just... Flight again, aren't we? Oh, there's just <laughs> nothing you can really do with it. I mean, And so for me... I mean, I was getting an emotional response yeah. to the last 15 minutes of that episode, but I wasn't getting nearly enough of an emotional response to carry it. i tell you what it was. It wasn't that I didn't like it, hmm. because I thought it was wonderfully acted, and the, the dialogue yeah. part of the writing was fine, and I, I kept thinking to myself, oh no, he's going to do the cliche here, and he didn't, so I was like, I kept being grateful hmm. that it didn't go quite as far into the cliche as I feared they might, but a little bit like that scene in the Pandorica Opens where Matt Smith does his speech yeah. to the spacecraft. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that scene. I know some people like mm. that scene, and those people will probably have loved this episode for similar reasons. That's but to me, why I like the episode more than the other one. Then, oh really? To me, to me, that's Matt Smith talking to a green screen, and I, as good an actor as he is, you know. It has to be spectacular to pull that off. Mm. And I didn't think it was perhaps quite that spectacular. And again with this one. And separating them just compounded that. Mm. Because then, you know, if if they'd have stayed the two of them together in the same location, yeah. you may have then had interaction. And it was a really extended scene with no interaction whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, it was quite unusual. Uh, th some of the other yeah. things I liked, I thought the, the costumes were really, really impressive. Oh, considering the amount of money yeah. they probably had to put the all those aliens together. I thought that was really yeah, good. Yeah, some of them. And I really liked the set that the, um, the monster was in. It reminded me very much of old school Doctor Who. Yeah, you could have seen that cropping up in, you know, like a Hinchcliffe era Tom Baker story remind me did, even that character didn't have any dialogue whatsoever did it no no he just kind of screamed a lot and pounded on the glass until it broke yeah see there that would have been 
you know, it's easy to say, oh, if I was the writer of that episode. But I think, you know, if I'd have had... It, so the thing that I would have done, that character, the one in the glass cage, mm. he would have had dialogue. Yeah. There would have been interaction. Because although the idea of, you know, a... What's the word I'm looking for? A leech, mm. effectively, I suppose. That's not the word I'm looking for, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, basically a cosmic leech pretending to be a god and this whole civilization building up a, a religion around this creature that's like essentially vampire, just a leech. Yeah, like a vampire. That's the word they use in the thing. That's a great idea. Mm. <clears throat> but I just missed that interaction. But. Yeah. And I thought the design of the... Um, <clears throat> I forget what they call them now. The guards that appear to try and... Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Really it's a shame the character options seem to be winding down their Doctor Who mm. line a bit because... You know, oh, this, there were so many characters in there that I'd love to have seen five-inch toys of. You're going to be making your custom figures now, aren't you? I don't make custom figures, man. <laughs> you twit, what are you saying? <laughs> well, this time you've got to worry about you know, theories on uh, New Doctor Who stories. You might redirect it into making your own little figures. Yeah, but of course I don't actually spend any time thinking about theories on New Doctor Who stories, do I, Mark? <laughs> As we established 20 minutes ago. Uh, maybe it's time for us to go then. Uh, well, uh, so, uh, before we do, shall we score them? Even though there are only <laughs> two of us. <laughs> yeah, go on, you go first. Well, I've already scored them for my reviews, mm. so I gave um, episode one an eight. And episode two as seven. I think I'd do the same, but reversed. I was thought you might yeah. say that. So a seven and an yeah. eight. I think um, neither of them. I would say just yeah, but neither of hmm. them. It's not like last year, series seven, part one, where although Asylum of the Daleks didn't quite his in quite the same way as Dinosaurs on a Spaceship did last year. But all five episodes in that run were pretty damn strong. Yeah. And so far, these two haven't quite come up to the mark, have they? Not yet, but then we've got some more episodes to come, so a long way to Oh, absolutely. Yet. And I'm not saying they're disappointing. I'm just saying they're not quite as strong as that short run we had last year. I think if you compare it to what we've had previously, where you have 13 episodes in a row, you do get some stories that aren't quite dips. as favourable yeah, as others to get dips. So you get, and you inspired, get the same thing but just split over I suppose you're well, magnifying yeah. it more when you only have them in relatively small groups of episodes well absolutely because even though they've split this series into two halves it was still made as a run of 13 mm. episodes or 14 including the Christmas special yeah. and these two episodes are you know roughly speaking in the series these two episodes are where your um, Lazarus experiment and Doctor's Daughter would have gone oh lordy well, yeah, and patently they're considerably an improvement on that. I should say so. And I've just named two Stephen Greenhorn episodes. I'm sorry if he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my specific intention, but you know what I mean? This is the mid-season dip, mm. I guess. It just also happens to be the launch of a new series, effectively. Yeah. But there you go. Um, a few emails then, shall I? Yeah, and then we should toddle along. This is from Steve in Manchester, and this is going back to our episode on the alien planets, mm -hmm. which I think was 49. Um, he says, 
I don't understand the Radio Times reference for the Rusty Davis-Stephen Moffat era. Can you think of one story in the last 50 years which couldn't be summed up in a single sentence? You could sum up the Bible in a single sentence if you put your mind to it. The Old Testament is, do do this, don't do that. And the New Testament is, don't be a prick, sign Jesus. Um, yeah, but I thought I explained my point on that was that it was a deliberate high concept thing these days whereas you know it's easy to explain anything in a single sentence after the fact but it's starting at that single sentence and extrapolating the story from it which is what they do nowadays yeah. that is the difference um, he goes on and says I've long thought that there aren't enough pen related character names in Doctor Who so I loved the reference to Byro the Heretic or the Heretic <laughs> Yeah. Presumably, he'd be on the run from the Graphite Vinder HB. Uh, very poor. Yeah. Insert whistling tumbleweed effect. <laughs> <clears throat> ah, also on the episode, agree with what you were saying about the importance of world building mm. being more than a simple alien planet set. It doesn't have to be elaborately over the top and can be achieved with nothing more than a few throwaway lines. For example, in the Androids of Tara, we get a character in a funny hat called the Archimandrite. The writers don't bother explaining who he is or what his role in society is, and he's not a significant character in the story. But his mere existence sets us to thinking, ooh, Archimandrite, that sounds like Archbishop or something. Mm. And hey presto, you've got a vague sense of an elaborate social structure and history on the planet, backing up the motives and behaviour of the main characters. I think we'd said before is, when we talked about yeah. uh, Power of Kroll, that same season, although it's... You know, not necessarily the strongest story. It's one of the most effective ones at creating a, a world, Absolutely. a believable world with a culture. The problems with that story are mostly to do with the production and not the script, yeah. I think. I think um, Robert Holmes always does a bang-up job with with things like um, Steve's example from Androids of Tara there, even though that was obviously David Fisher. Mm. But, you know, uh, Robert Holmes would just throw in a line or a character name or something that tells you a whole world about what's going on uh, without him having to explain it any further than that. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, Russell T. Davis, Stephen Moffat, they do a lot of the same thing. Um, oh, in fact, here you go. Next sentence from Steve. Russell T. Davis does this sort of thing all the time with his throwaway references to the Time War. I was at the fall of Arcadia. The could have been king with his army of meanwhiles and never worse, and so on. With no more than a couple of lines, we're left with the impression of a huge and elaborate tapestry in the background. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're going to like this next sentence. By the way, says Steve, the could have been king with his army of meanwhiles and never was is exactly how I imagine you four <laughs> gathered around your microphones. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Ah, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Even though yeah. it's only the could have been king, because that's me, isn't it? That's me. Is that me? That is me, yeah. isn't it? I'm a never. So was. are you a mean? I know oh you're a meanwhile. <laughs> meanwhile, you're all. You're a, with his army of meanwhiles and never was. Yes. I'm not going to actually. I'm not going to say which of you are meanwhiles and which of you are never was. Well, we know the never was in, in this maybe. episode. Mentioning our names, Simon and Liam. Well, yeah, absolutely. 
Finally, from Steve, it's similar in a way to the idea of historical layering in Tolkien. He chucks in the occasional reference to some long-dead king who's never mentioned again, and you're left with the idea of centuries of history. Of course, Tolkien can't leave it alone and insists on writing umpteen appendices explaining everything. Mm -hmm. Tolkien's appendices are the authorial, authorial equivalent of fan wank in Doctor Who. I'm sure there's a fan somewhere who's written a thesis on the origin of Archimandrites. And that's from Stephen Manchester. Thank you, Steve. Yep. I've got another one from Steve, actually, so let's go to that and come back to the other two in a moment. This is about Podcest. Ah. He says, Podcest went very well. Like Mark, I came across a lot of Doctor Who via UK Gold Sunday morning omnibus shows. Mm. Certainly everything up to Day of the Daleks, which was all brand new to me, other than via Target. Got a pile of transferred from VHS DVDs in a cupboard somewhere of all those Sundays. Mm. And actually, I, ha I did the same thing. I, um, yeah, I remember that. Transferred a bunch of Sunday morning omnibuses onto DVD when I first got my very first DVD recorder. Back in the day. Yeah. Uh, he says, Sun. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. He says the Sunmakers is, of course, disgraceful in that it satirises the tax system. Outrageous. Funny thing is that, until only a few years ago, the top regional bosses at HMC&E were referred to as The Collector. More than once I've been told, Steve, The Collector wants to see you upstairs, and have been met with total <laughs> incomprehension when I replied, Oh no, is he going to steam me? <laughs> I like he it. finally... Finally, he says, I agree that Tom works well with older women and the only pity about Mar Tyler is that we never get to see her nipples. Ugh. I think that's a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got two uh, emails also from Captain Hullo Porro. Mm -hmm. Remember him? Yeah. Reverend Captain Hullo Porro? Yes, I think I do. Uh, he says, My dear JR and supporting cast, Oh, oh, that's this nice, is... we don't even get names now. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> I know my place. Well, some of you don't even bother appearing, so... Well, it's true. Have you ever missed an episode, Mark? I missed one, I think. That's because I had, had the flu, feed. to be fair. Yes. Oh, well, that's right. That was the one where it was just me and yeah. Simon. Yeah, oh, well. I've never missed an episode. Hmm... Oh, okay. I was hoping for a better response than that. <laughs> or maybe the people listening were cheering at that point. Yeah, I was leaving a space maybe, for them to cheer and applaud. Or maybe, given the email I'm about to read, they were booing instead. <laughs> Captain Hollow Poro says, Having listened to your recent podcast on the Cybermen, I feel I simply must put fingers to buttons and leap up in defence, dear JR, of one of your other cast members. Mm. The supporting artiste in question... Let's call him Potsy to your fonds. Was the chaps <laughs> was the chap who states that the new Moff era Cyberman is a good movie style redesign. You simply talk all over the poor soul, denying that there is that much difference to the R uh, RTD Cybersman. Now, well, now, well, you never talk over anyone. Oh well, the point is that was a repeat of a conversation we'd already had from a few episodes previous, wasn't it? Anyway, I was being slightly sarcastic there, but yeah. Well, I know, but yes. <laughs> 
Anyway, he says, well, shush, JR, you're wrong. Yay! Actually, do you know what? He says, well, sush, JR, you're wrong. Uh, it's a typo, and he's missed the first H in shush. You are a but pedantic you know so-and-so, aren't you? Well, no, I would not have mentioned that, and I wasn't <laughs> going to mention that. I, uh, when I read it, I read, well, shush, JR, you're wrong, didn't I? can I? see a whole new Twitter phenomenon now, a new hashtag, well, no, JR, you're we... wrong. Well, no, shush, JR, you're wrong, with only one H in shush, because two weeks ago we had an email, three weeks ago we had an email, which also had the expression, well, shush, JR, you're wrong in it. And even though that email was from somebody else, also the first H in the word shush was missing. It, it was missing. missing. And ex- but it was the exact same typo from two different uh, people. Maybe it's a secret code. Well, I just wonder if maybe Captain Reverend Captain Holoporo is actually the person who sent that other email. Mm. I'm going to have to look that other email out now and find out who it was from, aren't I? Anyway, he says, you can't just la 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 with your fingers in your ears just because one of your posse wants to have a thought. Oh God, it's Shame on you. right in the afternoon now. Yeah. Shame on you. Working in a library, you should make less <laughs> noise sometimes. God. Yeah, don't worry. We'll come back to that, mm. Mark. Mm. Okay. He says, when the RTD Cyberman first came about, my first thought was, it's a toy, with its flared, Buzz Lightyear-style shins and obvious places for toy joints where the rubber undersuit is exposed. This, to me, was a sellout, a Disney-fied firework display of a sham. The new design is a sleek, sexy, tactile, metallic orgasm of a Cyberman. He sounds quite The best... Oh, yeah, he does. The best, he says, since his favourite design, the Invasion. They were pretty decent Cybermen. He then says, Now, JR, I have much respect for you and your entertaining podcast, but I know about design. The new Cyberman is one hell of an improvement on Russell T. Davis's merchandise-manipulating endorsed brief. But he is, of course, wrong, isn't he, Mark? Just say yes. Yes, JR, he's wrong. Absolutely. Having said all this, he says, I look over to my cyber display and look at the Cybersman, and the toy is actually nicer than the actual thing. Still, can't wait to get my hands on the toy of the new under-the-counter brown bag Cyberman. By the way... Now that sounds like a euphemism. (laughs) It does. (laughs) By the way, love the new format with JR in front of a bank of screens communicating with the subcast from his base. (laughs) I love the way their screens go blank and they cut out. Have they been taken by weeping angels? Or had their networks been switched off by unit? Add some real drama to the podcast plots. Love it. Mm. Or is it just lousy service from insert name of broadband provider here? Love. The Reverend Captain Hello Porro. P.S. Will the anniversary edition of the Blue Box podcast also be in 3D? Well, no. the answer to that is no, it'll be in 2P. That's two people, me and Mark. We might have Lee and Simon as well. Well, maybe if... Uh, oh, uh, maybe... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can do it in surround sound. <clears throat> yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe it'll just be a regular episode and... Uh, it'll just be the same old load of cobblers, really, won't it? Anyway, I pointed out to the Reverend Captain that it was Lee that worked in the library yes. and that I was just the postman. And that it was Lee's broadband. That was the reason why he was disappearing. And I said, have you seen the toy of the new Cyberman? Because, you know, there's obviously pictures of the new Cybermen toys out. Mm. Uh, he says, 
He says, OJR, this is why I don't watch soaps. Too many characters to confuse. In seriousness, I have seen the new toy and it makes me unhappy. The smaller scale seems flimsy and poorly executed, although it is a mock-up in the pics, I think. Mm. It's too reminiscent, he says, of the Dapple Cyberman. He says, I would hope that a Cyberman will be produced in five inches to match the rest of the collection. I hope so too, you know. You know these exclusives that they're doing, Forbidden Planet? Yeah. I hope they upscale some of the more important in the three and a half inch series of toys to five inches and sell them as exclusives in Forbidden Planet. Because it would just be awful if we didn't get, you know, the new Cyberman design, the new Ice Warrior design, the new Zygon design in the five inch scale. Do you think we've seen the end of the golden age of Doctor Who figures? Hard to say, but, you know, an era has certainly passed. Mm. But then, you know, we might be moving into an even more golden era because maybe these 3.5 ones will sell better and encourage them to do more. Maybe. Anyway, hello, Porro. He says, I promise you I will learn all your names and roles and one day I shall write a docudrama about how the Blue Box podcast began. Who would you like me to cast as you all? Oh, lordy. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you what, then. I'll come back to that I in a second. I think JR would probably be Richard Gere. Okay, I shan't come back to that. Why Richard Gere? He's, silver he's a Fox. silver fox, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, I think I'd obviously be Jason Statham. Yes, because you're a bald fox. <laughs> <laughs> Lee and Simon? Um, oh, Richard Dreyfus. we've already had. Or Dreyfus. Oh, for Lee. Yeah, yes, yeah. Dreyfus. Yeah. Oh, Lee could be played by Kroll, couldn't he? Oh, that's that's harsh. He's not here. He can't defend himself. He's a very sensitive soul. Well, in that case, he's never he's never going to listen to this anyway. That's but true, in that case, he should be here. This. No, and Simon would be played by. Oh, we did have something for Simon as well before, didn't we? Did we? Yeah, but seeing as he's not here either, I'm going to say, what's that woman from Call the Midwife, Miranda? Miranda Hart. Yeah, there you go. That's Simon. Oh my god. <laughs> Why? What's wrong and on with that? that bombshell. If I haven't got to the end of the email, oh blimey! All right, go on then. I did say let's come back to that, and I'll finish the email go first. On. But you didn't listen. I'm trying he to says, fill in for Lee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he says, "Oh, and Jr., you aren't just a postman; you are a postman." Cheers, now, lads. The cap. Oh, you just wanted to get that last bit in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Of course, I did. You're never just a postman to me, Jr. I'll be something else entirely. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'll be doing for the next 24 hours. is mixing this blooming podcast. Yeah, good luck with that. I won't have Simon's services on this, no, one, will I? No, so apologies, listeners, in, in advance. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. So, even though we've uh, talked about two episodes and two big bits of news and read out about half a dozen messages, we still haven't overrun by too much. No. I still think of it as overrunning, you know, because every episode at the start, I do say for the next 60 Yeah, minutes. and it always ends up being about three hours. Yes. Is that you being Lee again? No, that's me being me. Oh, okay. It, yes. It's VFM. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> Valueless for money. <laughs> <laughs> they get what they pay for. And that's exactly it. Okay, right. Uh, next week we'll be talking Ice Warriors yes Cold War can't wait 
I cannot imagine us not having Lee and Simon back for that because Lee and Simon obviously are the huge proponents of the whole Ice Warrior thing. They're not that bothered, are they? Oh, a couple of spoilers in Doctor Who magazine oh. about the episode. Right. Uh, well, I, shan't, I don't think I should... Well, not particularly a spoiler, but you get a picture of um, David Warner in character. Mm. Because, of course, there have been no pictures of David Warner no. in character at all prior to this. And obviously, um, after he was first cast, there were loads of rumours about would he be playing an Ice Lord or something mm. like that. Well, categorically, he's not playing an Ice Lord, and there's a picture of him in character. So for people who've got Doctor Who magazine, or maybe want to pop out and have a look, there you'll see him, although you're only a few days away from the episode itself now. Um, but wouldn't they be reading well, Starburst? Well, they should be, obviously, yeah. but as Doctor Who fans, you know, we can forgive them for reading Doctor Who yeah, magazine, really which obviously has a long history, uh, which began, obviously, you know, Starburst and Doctor Who, weekly as it was then, began as sister publications. They did. Dead skin. So, although I wouldn't dream of mentioning now or in any kind of a positive manner, I have no qualms about talking about Doctor Who magazine whatsoever. It is a quality publication. What? Now and I think your uh, broadband's gone the way of Lee's. Oh no! Please don't say that. <laughs> don't tempt fate. <laughs> um, there's also another picture of the Ice Warrior standing next to somebody, and it's not as tall as I thought it was going to be. Oh. Although I suppose it could be that it's standing next to Matt Smith, and Matt Smith's actually pretty tall himself. I thought Warwick Davis was in the Cyberman episode. You're a very funny man. I know. No, he's standing next to Mark Gatiss. Actually, Mark Gatiss is pretty tall. He is. So, uh, he is a tall chap. Yeah. So it's probably if Mark Gatiss is say Mark Gatiss is six foot dead, then it looks like the Ice Warrior is about six four six five. Mm-hmm. Yes. Still not overly keen on Ice oh, Warriors. I can't wait though. for this one. I'm just no. hoping I'm not going to be disappointed. Well, there is a big spoiler in the piece. Mm. Um, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to say it. We'll leave it till next time. People who've read that piece will know what the big spoiler is, and I think I pretty much already worked it out for myself anyway, and I don't think it's going to come as a huge surprise, even if you've not read the piece, probably if you've read anything about the episode. If you know what the basic story of the episode is, this spoiler will not come as any surprise. I was just surprised to see it in black and white. Anyway, let's call it an end to the episode, and... uh, Well, we'll be back next week talking about Ice Warriors. Yes, we will. (laughs) Yes, we will. That's a sea devil. Oh, that's what he does for the Ice Warriors Uh, as well. There you go. Lee did make it into the episode (laughs) after all. I was JR. I was Mark. And we'll speak again soon.
okay so there was something i had planned to oops i've brought myself back up to volume now there was something i planned to mention when we were talking about the zygon and david tennant and billy piper right and i forgot to and i just thought oh well seeing as we're both still here mm-hmm. we'll record it as an extra little conversation and stick it on uh at the end of the music yeah Oh, speaking of which, of course, we've gone into our fifth quarter now. Mm. So there's another new theme by Wesley Smith. Okay. Which you won't have heard yet, but I have, and it's probably our maddest yet. <laughs> God, that's saying something. Whether people will like it, I cannot say. Mm. But uh, it's plenty mad, and that's what I asked him for, so I'm happy with that. You got what you wanted. So, um, the, the other thing that I'd meant to say when we were talking about the announcement of David Tennant and whether there were going to be other Doctors announced mm-hmm. and the reason they um, put the picture up well, the reason we know the reason why they put the picture up, why they gave the news about David Tennant it was supposed to be in Doctor Who magazine yeah, and issues went and out subs- early yeah, subscription copies came out early so in order to save the news breaking over the internet by the back door they made the announcement early mm-hmm. so and the reason they put the picture of the Zygon up on Twitter is because they were out on location with it and if they hadn't done it themselves other people would have so you know they'd rather make an official announcement yeah. and people find out by other means mm-hmm. but the point is if you look back to Adventure in Time and Space, Adventure you were getting space regular and time. space and time, whatever. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mark. That's all right. Just you... <laughs> being pedantic. <laughs> It'd be nice if it was the other way around. Yeah, I always want to call it that. It'd be nice if, be nice if they changed it mm. just to upset you. <laughs> Go on. Anyway, point is, when they were recording that, there would be updates about people being added to the cast all throughout the six weeks or whatever it was of production. Yeah. As people join the production, there would be an official announcement, such and such as join the cast. Even though, potentially, all these people were already contracted and they could just have announced the lot all in one go at the very start. Mm-hmm. Well, all I was going to point out is, it will be the same with this. This is going to be shooting for the next five, six, seven, nine weeks, however long it takes to shoot this. And I cannot imagine that they've announced everybody already. I mean, some people... One of the things that somebody said on the internet is, oh, how disappointing, they've announced David Tennant. That means there's no other Doctors in it. Why? Well, yeah. I mean... And to be fair, it's the most obvious one that they could announce, because... Yeah. He's a fan, he would kill to be in it, I'm sure. There's uh, no way he wasn't going to be in it. No, exactly. And for those of us who are hoping that other Doctors will be in it, it's a little taster to say, well, you know, here's one, you wait and see. And of course, to the David Tennant fans, it's like, they're not going to care about the others. This is the announcement they were waiting for. So, I mean, by announcing him first, you've kind of ticked all the the boxes, really, haven't you? Mm -hmm. So I don't really see that as being any kind of indication of where the rest of the next six weeks or whatever it is of shooting is going to go. And I just thought it was worth saying that out loud, and I'd meant to say that out loud when we were talking about it earlier in the episode and didn't, so I thought we'd come back and do it at the end. Probably wasn't worth it, was it? It might make for a nice and interesting little tidbit at the end. Yeah, well, if people want to carry on listening after the music, they'll find a little something else at the end. And I have not sung for ages, so shall I sing? Do it. 
No, 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 no. I'm not going to do it <laughs> Come now. Come on. What's your last thing? When I'm cleaning oh, for- windows. Oh, no, no, no. This episode's going to go out just hours before Phonicon, isn't it? Yeah, go on in. So we'll do the... You're going to do Barnaby. some Momo Tempo? Yeah, no, I'm going to do the Barnaby and Nicholas and absolutely Dan Barrett's going to be there as well now. Yes. So I'm going to do the song for them again, which we've done before, haven't we? And I'm sitting in a Dalek, Dalek, oh Dalek. I'm sitting in a Dalek, Dalek, oh Dalek. There you go. I've sung. Oh, sorry. I was waiting. I was waiting for the song. That, I was, was waiting it. for you to come in. No, I d- unless you want to lose all of our listeners, I think that's probably for the best. If I don't, see, you're quite happy for me to sing. Absolutely. But when it comes, but when it comes time for you to sing, you just won't. Hey, look. You used to be in a band, and you like singing. I know I can't oh sing, so I don't inflict God. it on anyone else. That is not something you want to be saying in public. <laughs> They might even have some footage up on YouTube somewhere. Nope, there is no footage on YouTube whatsoever. But if only they knew which band to look for. Well, there's not any anyway. I've got a CD of yours. But it's not on YouTube. Hmm. There's nowhere on the internet you can find it, Mark. It could be on YouTube. Well, only if you put it there. Precisely. It's not going to happen. No, it's not. Okay, Mark, we'd better say goodnight then. Ta-da for now.